And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. Well, I'll tell you what. I want to thank uh, R&B Car Company, locations in South Bend and Warsaw. R&B Car Company are your used car experts. You can find them online at rbcarcompany.com. All right, so I want to congratulate Rudy Yakum. He has, again, won the caucus that happened over the weekend. And it was, um, you know, here, here's the thing. You know, a lot of people were asking me about this. A lot of people obviously wanted an endorsement. A lot of people wanted me to, to give them my opinions. It came up uh, throughout the entire week. It came up shortly after the day of that tragic accident. It, it's been coming up since then as people want to know my opinions about all of this. And, you know, I, I told people at Pass the Mic, because this is what came up at Pass the Mic, obviously. And people wanted, well, what, what do you think? What should happen? We're not on the radio. What, you know, why don't you tell us? Look, I know a lot of people who are in that race, and they're good people, and many of them would have done the job greatly, be perfectly honest with you. So it's one of those things that I chose not to make a public endorsement. Um, I don't do that a lot anyway in primary-type situations, even though this isn't a primary. I don't do that. And, and part of the reason is, you know, unless there's somebody that's just egregiously awful or, or superbly amazing and nobody else is of decent quality, then I'll do it. But it's usually pretty rare. And a lot of you accuse me falsely of endorsing people in other races when all I do is just say a nice thing about them. So it's, it really doesn't matter what I, what I do. I know that people want the endorsement. People want to know what I have, uh, what, what I think about stuff. But um, there really was several really good people who were in this thing. And, you know, we're all in a position that we don't really want to be in. We don't want to be replacing Jackie. We don't want to be replacing Zach. The GOP is going to be... Uh, voting today on who's going to take over uh, for Zach with the county GOP. You know, it's um, it's a dark time, and, and it's a sad time, and it's all happening way too fast. And and as a result of that, you know, you, you just you get spirited campaigns. I politely, on my show, encourage everybody to not burn bridges. Um, as is usually the case, everybody flipped me off and said, no, we don't care what you think. We're just going to do all of the same old failed stuff that we do every single every single opportunity. We have an election cycle and we're going to burn bridges and we're basically going to burn everything down. So, you know, nobody wants to listen to me. That's fine. Look, here's here's the thing. Most of you know, I got away from the Republican Party many, 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 many years ago. Uh, Zach Potts is the one who brought me back into the fold because that's how much I believed in him. So. What I'm witnessing now, this is my cautionary tale to all of you in, in St. Joseph County who are going to be going tonight and you're going to be voting for, for who is going to lead the county party going forward. Everything that I am watching happen, everything that happened throughout the caucus, everything that's happening now with the lobbying and Looking forward to 2024 already. You don't even know what Rudy's going to do in Congress. You don't even know if Rudy's going to get through the general election. It most likely is going to happen. But the Democrats might very well throw everything they have at this race. Who knows? Stranger things have happened, folks. But why are people planning on running against him and primarying him? He hasn't cast a single vote yet. You don't have any idea what Rudy's going to be like in Washington, D.C. You have no clue. And there's a lot of people who think that they know Rudy, and they don't know Rudy. I've known Rudy a long time. I've known a lot of the candidates a long time. 
It's one of the reasons I chose not to go public and endorse somebody, because there's some good people who would have done fine jobs in Washington, D.C. They all have their strengths. They all have their weaknesses. They all have their, their question marks and their plus signs. Every single one of them does. They're human beings. But I'm, I'm coming to you with a cautionary tale because I have witnessed this before. And how many years have you heard me talk about the purple Republicans of Indiana? This is not a red state. I know that the Republican Party likes to go around and say it's a red state. It's not a red state. This is a purple state. The Republicans who get elected are not conservative at all. They're moderates who lean slightly right. You think Eric Holcomb is a conservative Republican? He's not. What about Pence? More more red, but not somebody I would call a conservative Republican. And I'm not denigrating anybody. It's okay to not be a conservative Republican. That's fine. But then you go back to Mitch Daniels, who, by the way, wrote one whale of an article this last week. Mitch Daniels, you know, frankly, why some of you hate him the way that you hate him, I don't know. Um, I understand some of the complaints about some of the policies that he did, but, I mean, Mitch Daniels, is, it's missed opportunity there at, at a national level, but I understand why he didn't get into it. But still, not a conservative Republican. We can play this game if we want. Who, run, who runs the Republican Party in the state? Not conservative Republicans. Who runs most of the county parties? Not conservative Republicans. So this is a purple state. It is maybe a slightly more reddish shade of purple than your average purple state. But that's really about it. Now, we've been in this position. I've been in this position before. And I know that a lot of you don't want to believe that this can happen. Indiana's red. Yeah, it's basically always been red. Sure, why not? Yeah, okay. Are the, are the big cities red here? Are the big cities in Indiana red? Where is everybody moving from to Indiana? Indiana is one of the states that's gaining population because people are moving from blue states into Indiana. Do you think they're moving to farm country? Or do you think they're moving into urban areas? They're moving into urban areas that are already blue. And they're going to give those urban areas much more power in those blue areas. And they're going to continue to solidify their votes. Ask me how I know. I've seen this all before. And I keep offering up my experience with all of you because all of the patterns that have materialized in Indiana that I've been telling you about for 11 years were all the same exact patterns in deep libertarian red would not elect a Democrat at all Nevada. Nevada is a blue state now, isn't it? It's not a purple state. It's not a a swing state or anything like that. They can try and spin it all they want. Nevada is blue. And Nevada is blue because of a weak Republican Party that was fighting with its own and was admonishing and punishing conservatives and Tea Partiers and and everything else, doing what they could to keep them out. And then watching all of these people from Seattle and Los Angeles and Chicago and New York moving in. And where did they all move? Did they move to Reno? No, they didn't move to Reno. They moved to Las Vegas, didn't they? One city decides what happens to that entire state. And it's not the only state that does that. But they all moved to Las Vegas. So Las Vegas is now blue. The entire state of Nevada, blue. I've watched what I'm seeing now. And I realize that many of you listening to this right now have no idea what in the world is happening behind scenes. Just know that I do. I have watched all of this happen before. And I've watched it destroy a party. And I've watched it destroy a state. And you can keep 
thumbing your nose at it and pretending that I don't know what I'm talking about because I'm not from here, all you want. But I've sat here how many times over the past 11 years that I've been doing this show and said, see, I told you this was going to happen. I tried warning you three years ago, tried warning you two years ago, tried warning you a year ago. And things keep materializing exactly as I predicted. And not because I have a crystal ball, but because this is the playbook. There is a strategy. There is a playbook. There is a list of mistakes that continue to happen all over the place. And so I came on here and I said, please don't burn any bridges. You've got talented people. We've got a lot of people who, frankly, would be good in Washington, D.C., or they'd be good in other races. Maybe the second district just isn't their race. Maybe they didn't have time to put together a campaign, but it could have been. Maybe one, But it didn't happen. Maybe one day it will. Maybe it'll be something else. Don't burn bridges. Did everybody's ego allow that to happen? No. A couple of them did. A couple of them were like, yeah, we'll support the nominee. A couple of them, no. And I'm telling you right now, I've watched all of this before, and it never ends well, and all you're going to do is give the Democrats a victory. We're going to wake up one day, and this will be a blue state. And everybody's going to look around, and they're going to go, ah, what happened? And I'm going to sit here on the microphone, and I'm going to just crack open, I'm going to do the phone numbers, I'm going to crack open a soda, and I'm going to sit here, I'm going to go, all right, I will kindly accept your phone calls apologizing to me, for ignoring my my advice. You know what I find amazing? And, and I run into this actually quite frequently. And for those of you who are trying to figure out what's happening at, with the live stream, it's uh, Rumble is not letting me in right now. I'll, I should hopefully have this fixed here soon. So just be patient. When, when we are not in an election cycle, who do you all turn to for advice? And information. You turn to me. Why? Because you know I generally know what I'm talking about. And if I don't, I know somebody who does. And I've got a beat on what's happening. And I've seen all of this happen before. This is my job. And for many of you, you're brand new. And I'm not denigrating you. I think it's great that you're being active. But for many of you, you're brand new. And so in between elections, you look to me for advice. You look to me for guidance. You look for, to me for information. And then when election time comes around, you all become tribalists and you don't give a damn about what I say. And then you attack me when I give you advice. And then I, maybe I give speeches somewhere and you don't hear a thing that I say. Because, again, people don't listen with two ears. They only listen with one. And they pick up a little buzzwords about something they think they heard me say, and then they go out and they, they spread little lies about me and say that I didn't say what, what I actually said and that I said something that I didn't say. This is routine. This is what always happens. And all I'm trying to do is make sure the best possible people are in a position to make a difference in our community. That's it. It's all I care about. Folks, if I were in this for money, power, or fame, I would have answered any one of the phone calls that I have had about running for mayor or Congress over the past several years. And I haven't, have I? And I've been asked many times. I've been asked to run for state legislature. Haven't accepted. This is where I belong. And when you look to me for that information and for that guidance... It is amazing to me that you shut it off when we get into a certain certain part of the season. Just, I find that absolutely amazing. Suddenly, I become the biggest dope and the biggest idiot in the history of, of idiots and dopes. 
And the reality is, is I generally know a lot more about some people, not everybody, some people than most of you. And that's oftentimes why I make the decisions that I make, or if I do an endorsement, why I give the endorsements that I make. And I always find it hysterical when the same people, the same people who look to me for guidance the rest of the year suddenly aren't interested in it. Beyond that, I still go out of my way to provide platforms for people that I think, obviously, you're the audience. I serve you. I don't serve any, any of the candidates. I serve you as the audience. And I think it's good for you to have some people on, in spite of the fact that many of those people that we have on the show hate my guts. They don't like me, but we'll be cordial, we'll be polite. Why? Because it's for your benefit. But I'm telling you right now, and this is, this is mostly to people who are within the party, and this is a warning for the rest of you who are voters. You keep going down this path where you're at war with each other, you will lose the state. Maybe you'll get it back, but only after there's a nasty civil war, if you will, air quote, um, you know, a political battle within the party. I've watched it happen in more than one state, but I can give you intimate details about the state of Nevada. And it is all materializing right now, right here. And I'm just saying, you probably don't want to be in this position. There will come a time, there will come a time where you are going to regret it. We got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Hey, good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. Once again, do want to remind everybody that you can go to BT Media. Dot news that is btmedia.news and you can uh, you can hang out with us i got a free uh, social media network up there and and uh, daily show prep podcast and so much more make sure you go check that out so let's let's roll over a couple of things cue my audio please uh this this ended up happening over the weekend it was the final reliable sources the final one with brian the human potato stelter I believe America needs CNN to be strong. I believe the free world needs CNN to be strong. And it will continue to be. Because all of us are going to help make that happen. The free world needs a reliable source. So, for reliable sources, for the last time, I'm Brian Stelter. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, there's two people who clap because nobody likes him and his ratings suck. Okay, look, here's the deal. Brian Stelter is one of the most dishonest human beings that you have in media, period. I don't really know what else to say. The montages that you have seen over the past couple of days of Brian Stelter repeatedly lying to his audience in spite of all of the evidence should be enough to seal his fate to never be allowed to commentate on anything again. It won't. He'll slither his way into something because that's what snakes do. Brian Stelter is about the worst you can possibly get. Now, and I mean this because you can go over to MSNBC and get um, you can get people like Joy Reid. Nobody takes Joy Reid seriously. And I, and I mean, like, in the general public. Almost nobody takes Brian Stelter seriously professionally. But there are still people in the general public 
who think that reliable sources and Brian Stelter are somehow trustworthy, okay? Nobody thinks Joy Reid has any credibility. Nobody. There are activists who like her because they also lie for a living. That's it. But there are people who actually use Brian Stelter's program in classrooms as a teachable program, not on how to not do things, but on how to do things, which is hysterical. You realize that Reliable Sources has been canceled, and that is CNN's longest-running program? Not with Brian Stelter. It's just CNN's longest-running program. Stelter took over a franchise and ran it into the ground. He ruined it. Now, Reliable Sources was supposed to be a program which cut through bias and would give you the truth. Instead, it became a propaganda machine for the Democratic left. Now, the new boss is over at CNN. Chris Licht was, um, he was actually furious because you weren't supposed to know about any of this. It wasn't supposed to happen until next week. So all of this got leaked out, right? It got leaked. I think um, what ended up happening is NPR got a hold of it. Then NPR went out there and contacted Brian Stelter who confirmed it. But this was not supposed to be something that you were supposed to hear about yet. So Chris Licht... Um, on a conference call with employees was, you know, he was furious. He basically said that, look, I mean, a lot of you, he called it inhumane what they did. And in part, what he was talking about is Brian Stelter now has to deal with this before he's even done. And he has to do his last show knowing full well that he is on the way out and that everybody knows. And the, the diatribes on the last show were, you know, all of the reasons, really what Brian Stelter did when he did his last program over the weekend is he proved to everybody that canceling that show and firing him was a good move. If you haven't seen it, you don't need to watch the entire thing, but watch some of the clips of some of the garbage that he said on his final episode. I just played you him signing off because that's the one, like, upbeat moment of the entire thing. But Chris Licht had pointed out, like, it's really inhumane that you guys leaked this out. And he was referring mostly that Brian Stelter would have to deal with all of this before his public knowledge. Um, and he's got a point there. I mean, nobody wants to have to deal with that. If you're going to get fired and you know you're going to get fired, but you're going to do your last show, you're going to be a team player, that sort of thing. Then you can go off into the darkness and then, you know, people can contact you. But to do that before it's actually finalized is, is really kind of a cruel thing. And that was the point that he made. But Chris Licht also said, you know, buckle up. Quote, there will be moves that you may not agree with or understand. I want to acknowledge to everyone that this is a time of change. I know that that is unsettling. And he went on to tell everybody, look, there's going to be things you don't like. Get used to it. And there are some rumors, ladies and gentlemen. There are some rumors. Um, And Don Lemon is at the very top of that, which wouldn't surprise anybody if Don Lemon goes away. Don Lemon, also universally disliked and made fun of because he's inaccurate and his show has no ratings. It would make perfect sense for Don Lemon to go away. If they're actually serious, if Warner Brothers Discovery is actually serious about taking CNN in a news direction, which Chris Licht being at the head of this is not a good sign, but nonetheless, if they're going to go in that direction, you can't keep Don Lemon around. You can't. It's impossible. You can't keep other people around either. And there are people dropping names. So while he goes out there, and Tubin's gone too, you know, Tubin left, um, but while there are, you know, people out there leaking stuff, it's like they're leaking stuff as he's admonishing them for leaking stuff. It's just kind of kind of hysteric. I hope he finds out everybody who leaked and just, you know, gets rid of them because I mean that's a major problem. But there are some names that are being floated around and, you know, Lemon is one of them and and there's there's many others, but 
I wanted to get into something that I haven't done in a while. Why you can't trust the media. And I know that most people don't trust the media. I know that the polling on it is is really bad, and we did a story on that a couple of weeks ago. But I want to give you kind of an idea of why. And, and I've done this for premium shows that, that I've done in the past and live streams for just like my, you know, inner circle that is subscribers and, and things of that nature. And I've done it to a lesser extent on the radio show before, but it's been a while. So I want to remind you why it is you should be very hesitant about certain stories in the media and in anything dealing with politics should just automatically not be believed until you can verify it. And that's if it's coming from Fox, if it's coming from anywhere else. You just you honestly need to take a step back and go, okay, what's the lens here? There are some stories that everybody kind of does right. There's a plane crash, or if there's a tragedy or something like that that doesn't involve firearms, most people get those correct, as the facts are being fed to them anyway. But when it comes to political stuff, you don't want you don't want to jump to any conclusions. And I'm going to tell you why. Coming up, Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's news channel, live, rumble.com slash Casey, the host, MNC News Time is 3.33. Time to check out Impress Jewelry Creations, creating meaningful jewelry for the moments that last a lifetime. Had an interesting question come up here not that long ago. Somebody was asking, hey, Casey, uh, the balance of nature thing. I know it's fruits and veggies. It's your daily allotment of fruits and veggies and everything else. But, you know, is it just whatever fruits and veggies are available? And the answer to that is no. Uh, the proprietary blend of 32 fruits and vegetables that go into balance of nature's fruits and veggies are selectively picked specifically for the nutrient value that they're going to offer to you and to your body. So this is something that is not random. This is a proprietary formula of 32 fruits and vegetables, and this is the reason that they do this with a very specific... Somebody said, I need to play the soundbite of Coach Morris, you think you know rant. No kidding. But see, here's, here's, here's what I guarantee is going to happen. Okay, Me starting the show the way that I'm starting the show, I realize it's because I have information that the general public doesn't have. Okay, I understand that. And I know that that puts you at a disadvantage, and I'm sorry. But I guarantee you that there's going to be a bunch of rumblings about it on on how egotistical I am or whatever um, within some circles of the party. And, and that's because, you know, everybody everybody's ego. This is what's killing politics for the Republicans right now. Ego. We talked about this at Pass the Mic. It's just it's 100 percent ego. And there really isn't a battle for for the ideology of the party right now It's purely power and control. That's all that's happening. And it's, you know, it's sad. But like I said before, we've witnessed this before. I've witnessed this before. It's you're on a dangerous path. And I'm not saying that the state's going to flip blue tomorrow, but it took, you know, about two decades to flip blue in Nevada. And I'm telling you, it's it's going down that road. Somebody sent me a, a message and said, Casey, what are some of the other names that you're hearing could get let go at CNN? John Berman, Allison Camarota, who desperately deserves to be fired. Jim Acosta, same. Brianna Kyler, uh, Jake Tapper, John King, Don Lemon. Don't expect, according to the source, don't expect any of them to still be at the network or have their current show assignments. So they may not be fired, but they'll be reassigned. Uh, but there's a good chance that many of them are probably going to get canned. So, yeah, it's... um. I mean, basically everybody who is everybody over at CNN probably going to get nuked with the exception of a couple that I told you would probably stay on. But here's, this is something that I, every time I tell people this, they get a little surprised. If I were to ask, oh, I don't know, Ben, uh, who controls, how many companies control 90% of your media outlets in the country? How many? Something like five is a really small Six. number. Six. Six, yeah. Six. We had this conversation a couple weeks ago, I think, right? So six companies, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's a very small company. It's a small number, and it's usually giant conglomerate organizations, you know. Right. 
So you've got six corporations control 90% of the media outlets in this entire country. Six. Now, some of you are going, well, there's more than six companies out there. Yeah. Okay. Comcam, Comcast, excuse me, NBC Universal owns a bunch of places. Television, newspaper, digitals, like websites, stuff like that. Same thing with AT&T and, and all of that. So if you look at the six corporations, okay, that are responsible for 90% of the media, Comcast, Disney, CBS, Viacom, News Corp, and AT&T, they own everything. They own everything. That's just the reality. Uh, if you start to look at some of the, the umbrellas here, uh, Comcast, NBC, Telemundo, Universal, USA, Hulu, NBC, DreamWorks, E, uh, CNBC, BuzzFeed, Vox. Disney. Well, yeah, well, Disney's not Comcast, though, right? Uh, AT&T owns HBO, uh, WB, CNN, DC. Oh, wait, yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah, there's, yeah. So uh, you think got, you know, this is, this is the problem. They own all of these different media outlets, right? And so this is one of the things that I've tried to explain to you that they, they do. So let's just say you have, you know, corporate, right? Big honcho corporate at Comcast. So like Mr. Acme over at Comcast, who's responsible for spreading the message everywhere. He's got, let's say, 50 media outlets under his control in all different mediums, right? He goes out there and he goes, all right, nobody's allowed to write any articles or say that uh, the election was stolen from Trump or that there's any shenanigans. Nobody's allowed to do that. And if anybody does, you're going to be fired, okay? So now... None of that message, even if evidence does come up, like a court ruling in Pennsylvania saying, yeah, the law was illegally illegally changed and there's a bunch of Ill- invalid ballots that were counted. You can't do a story on that because now corporate has said no. And if they have a message, conversely, like, oh, hey, the inflation, the inflation Act is actually going to reduce inflation, and that becomes the message on all 50 of those outlets – and it's just something that's being pushed. It's almost like the AP wire service. You have one person saying one thing, and then just gets pushed out to everybody else, and it's like, that's what the marching orders are. Now, there are, are you ready for this? 15 billionaires own all of America's news media. 15. All of your news media in the entire country is owned by 15 people. Okay? that That's 100% of all media outlets, television, radio, newspaper, Websites and digital. All of them, 15 people, own it all. Nobody else has any of it. 15 people. That's it. You think 15 people who all hang out with each other and compete over boat size and things like that, you think those 15 people might occasionally get together and maybe say, hey, we're going to be pushing this on our side. Are you going to be doing the same thing? Of course they do. There's all sorts of things. Um, they got all sorts of meetings where they do this. Davos is one of them. <laughs> it's not the only one, but it's one of them. Just so you're aware. So 90% of all media's six companies, 15 billionaires own it, everything, including those that 90%. You know, in there too, you got uh, with Bloomberg, you got Murdoch, you got uh, uh, Newhouse, the Cox family, Bezos, John Henry, Sheldon Adelson, who passed away. But um, y- you get the idea. So there is really not a lot of places for you to go. Now, it gets worse because in the midst of this, who do those billionaires donate to politically? Who do they donate to? Did you think about that? Because it's bad enough that you got six companies that control 90% of the media. Then you find out that 15 people basically control everything that you hear. Okay, Then you have 
you know, small little regional things like Federated Media, right? We're small, but we're considering like that 3% that's not owned by everything. But then who do those 15 people donate to? Who are they friends with in D.C.? What favors do they get from politicians in D.C.? How much influence on policy do those individuals have? Do they actually try to affect policy? And if 15 billionaires are trying to affect policy, which the left tells us the billionaires control everything, right? So if 15 billionaires are trying to control everything and they're trying to control policy, but they also happen to own all of the media, might that be a conflict of interest? Could there possibly potentially be an issue with that? Yeah, and we're going to get to that next. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. So I got to, you know, I just want to make this point too, because kind of what I was just saying, we're discussing this on the live stream here. Okay. If you've got six corporations and let's just say Comcast is one. We had a phone call about Comcast. She was asking some questions about it. So Comcast owns a bunch of media outlets, right? Including news outlets. Comcast for many people is your cable and internet provider, Right. Um, and for some people in the country, not here, but in, in, well, yeah, is it here? Is Comcast here or is it Cox? Is it Comcast? I believe it's Comcast. It's Com- okay, Comcast is here. So, so you have, for m- many of you, you've got Comcast, which is a, just a division of the umbrella company, okay? And this is not meant to be an attack on their internet service or anything like that. Last I checked, Comcast is the fastest internet you have available here in town. But when it comes to, like television and stuff, Comcast negotiates contracts on what channels they're going to carry. And so if you can't get Newsmax, OAN, Blaze, um, any of these other news channels that you want as a conservative and or a Republican or even just somebody who's interested in the other side, and Comcast is like, yeah, we don't want them. We're not going to show them to you. You think it's a conflict of interest? Is it their right to do it? Yeah, absolutely. It's 100% their right to do it. It's just that most people are not aware that you basically have a giant media company that owns a ton of news channels that is not allowing their competition to get into your house. That's the reality. Now, the way around that is streaming. Uh, because, I mean, you, I could go create my own Roku channel tomorrow if I wanted to. Okay? It's expensive, but it could be done. That's a way of getting around that. Um, it's, not, it's not ideal. It'd be better if you just could turn on the channel and see what you wanted to see. Here's some other problems. We talked. We left off at like you've got six companies that own ninety percent of U.S. media. You got fifteen billionaires that own basically everything, with like with the exception of like three percent. Okay. And is the do who do those people donate to? Who do those fifteen billionaires donate to? Do they get involved in politics? Do they push agendas? Do they want politicians to owe them favors? Do politicians owe them favors? And so, what is the relationship there? Well, and then you run into stories like what we had back in 2015. Remember when Hillary Clinton held the off-the-record dinner for all of the journalists? Over two dozen journalists got to have a private dinner with Hillary Clinton. And right after that, they all wrote strikingly similar articles about how amazing she is. It's weird how that happens. Strange, right? So, we got another one here. Okay. Uh CNN, CNBC, AP. Now, I've talked about this many times before. Uh, news media, journalists, and outfits oftentimes meet with the Chinese Communist Party. Can you trust anybody who goes to China for this outreach program that China does to give you a fair shake on China or issues related to China? 
Probably not. And just recently, okay, just, what, three weeks ago, you had members of CNN, CNBC, and the Associated Press doing this with the Chinese Communist Party back in July. That's the story came out on the 2nd of August. That's this month. Can you trust their reporting when it comes to China? I'll let you decide that. How about the fact that the Health and Human Services Department paid the media to advertise COVID vaccines as outlets gave positive coverage to the COVID vaccines? By the way, updates on that today. Including foreign governments finally acknowledging that the vaccines have caused major health problems and death. We still aren't. We're still pretending that everything's hunky-dory. But the Health and Human Services Department, the federal government, folks, paid cash to media outlets to promote the vaccines. We joke about this segment brought to you by Pfizer. And a lot of people are like, well, that's because Pfizer's out there, you know, paying all these companies money. There's some truth to that. But Health and Human Services Department also paid these outlets that money. Why do you think Brian Stelter went out there and told you how amazing the vaccine was? Because he was paid to do it. Not because it was right. One of the things that people were frustrated with is we'd sit here as we would look at it and we'd go, why in the world are they not reporting on peer-reviewed clinical trials that are published on government websites, which clearly contradict the message on the show tonight? And then, oh, brought to you by Pfizer. Oh, that makes sense. What you didn't know is the Health and Human Services Department is also giving them a nice little paycheck. News outlets have slammed NewsGuard. This is another story that I gave you from earlier this year. NewsGuard is considered the de facto standard of what is and is not unbiased media according to social media. NewsGuard is used by Facebook and Twitter and everybody else to decide what is and is not correct information. The problem is that NewsGuard is horrendously biased and has routinely criticized right-wing publications when they were correct while promoting left-wing publications when they were not, so much so that many journalists band together and said NewsGuard cannot be trusted. You get it? It's an industrial complex, folks. You're up against it. And one of the best ways to fight this stuff, believe it or not, is culture. And to stop infighting. Gosh, Republicans, stop infighting. Your enemy is out there. It's not within your own party. Most of the time, it's not within your own party. I should say that. It's McConnell and things like that. They're clearly a problem. Go to rumble.com slash Casey, the host. Hit that subscribe button. Hang out with us during the live stream. we got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I'm your host, Casey Hendrickson. Do you want to thank R&B Car Company locations in South Bend and Warsaw? R&B Car Company are your used car experts. All right, I'm going to play you a segment here. This is a lot longer than I usually play, but I want you to hear the entire thing in its entirety because I have been telling you this so I'm blue in the face. Um, and it is interesting watching people who've never had clearance tell you what the process for getting clearance and utilizing clearance really is. And the people who do have experience with clearance, um, they are being completely ignored. So once again, you've you've got experts, actual experts being cast aside and silenced by people who pretend to be experts and they don't know anything. They don't know what they're talking about. Like going back to the old Coach Mora thing. You think you know, but you don't know. This is Mark Levin and Cash Patel. And I've told you before, if you need information on what's happening with the the document situation in Mar-a-Lago and the FBI raid and everything else, Cash Patel is the guy that you need to pay attention to because Cash Patel knows all of this. This was his job. 
And Mark Levin, of course, being a constitutional lawyer um, from the Reagan administration, he knows this pretty good, too. So I just want to play you the exchange. It's four minutes long, but you're going to get a lot of information here. Pay attention to this because there's still a lot of people out there just not grasping what is actually happening here with this Mar-a-Lago raid. People say, look, he issued orders, a lot of orders, um, declassifying information before he left office. Do you know anything about this? As a former deputy director of national intelligence, I know how this system works. The president is the sole and universal arbiter and classification authority in the United States of America. If he says a document is declassified or a set of them, that is it. There is no written material required. That is a fiction being created by the fake news and the radical left. In October of 2020, President Trump put out for the world to see a sweeping declassification order, and he did it via social media. Every single Russiagate doc. Every single Hillary Gate doc, every one, those are his words. That is the precedent that the president of the United States is allowed to operate under. And then in December and January in the way out, I witnessed him declassify whole sets of documents. So it is not incumbent upon President Trump and his lawyers and, his, and, and, and him as a target of this investigation to show he, in fact, did declassify them. It's up to the government, who has the burden of proof, who are trying to deprive a man of his liberty to show that no such order was, in fact, given. They know they can't. So what happens? The fake news mafia comes in and says, oh, but there was no protocols followed. And Mark, you know, when they're arguing protocols and procedure, it's because they have lost the factual argument and the truth. And now they are trying to hide behind this magistrate judge who is going to supposedly play this game of redactions. We saw it in Russiagate. And when I was a deputy DNI, we lifted all those redactions from the Russiagate docs. And what do we see, Mark? Corruption. FBI and DOJ corruption and breaking of the law. That's the same game they're going to play here. And the fake news media is going to attempt to applaud them for their, for their farce in terms of cons uh, transparency. And we cannot allow them to do that. The president declassified documents. The government has failed to show that that did not occur. Procedure and protocol do not apply to the president of the United States when he is declassifying documents. And let me underscore that point. The Constitution of the United States, the first sentence, Article 2, Section 1, the president is the executive branch. That's why everybody agrees he can declassify and classify as much as he wants. And he can do it right out the door. The Espionage Act, in this sense, simply does does not apply to a former president. It does not apply to the president of the United States. It was passed originally in 1917. It was pushed by Woodrow Wilson to use against his enemies, people who opposed World War I. It was never, ever intended to apply to a president. Let me ask you this, Cash Patel. Barack Obama, George W. Bush, Clinton, Bill Clinton, Vice President Gore, Vice President Biden, Vice President Cheney, do we know if any of them secreted any documents, took any documents with them to their homes, classified or otherwise? Do we know? I know for a fact that President Obama has classified access at one of his homes, so those such documents exist there, and they should as for former presidents of the United States, and that law and that rule should apply equally. But the Government Services Administration is responsible for packaging and parceling those documents, and you bring up a great point. They were the ones that moved the documents to Mar-a-Lago, and they were the ones that have now admitted they mistakenly moved boxes. It's not like President Trump. Even if they get past the declassification farce, um, it's a ruse, I should say. It's not not like President Trump put him in a backpack and moved him down there and said, nothing to see here. I want to illegally distribute these documents. The law should be applied. They're not should be a two-tier.
tiered system of justice. Clinton, Obama, Bush, Trump as former presidents must be treated equally when it comes to classified documentation. I think it's very interesting that not a single former president or vice president have opened their mouths because I suspect they have taken documents with them, whether it's in violation, quote unquote, of one law or another. This entire event was completely unnecessary, and it's just more of an effort to try and trap and drag down Donald Trump. Yep. And we've already talked about a lot of that with you on this show. But I get it. I'm just a radio host who sometimes, well, I should say, uh, nine months out of the year, you really like what I have to say, and then election time gets around, and suddenly I'm not an expert anymore, right? So that's that's how that works for, for most of you out there. But this is the same exact stuff that I've been trying to tell you. A lot of it, the exact same thing. We've talked about some of the other stuff. I'm going to tell you in just a minute how Bill Clinton's sock drawer proves Trump right. But I want to touch on something else, because I mentioned the GSA a couple of times. Cash Patel brought the GSA up there. There are people who think that Donald Trump had a couple of his henchmen pack up a bunch of documents and sneak them out in the middle of the night as if the president could do that and fly them all the way across the country to Mar-a-Lago and then store them in a closet that nobody knew about. They were boxed up and shipped there by the GSA. So you have the federal government's body, which handles this, packing them up and sending them to Mar-a-Lago. The GSA, as Cash Patel has pointed out, has already admitted they boxed up some things and sent it to Mar-a-Lago accidentally. Now, I would like to remind everybody that the GSA also was in cahoots with some of the previous attempts against Donald Trump. The GSA acted with other bureaucracies to go after Trump in the past. So you got a couple of different things. I've already mentioned, isn't it interesting, the DOJ never declassified the documents that Trump ordered to be declassified as required by law. Then he left office and they just didn't do it. They're required by law to do it, but they didn't. You find that a little interesting? And then the GSA, the same GSA that worked with other uh, bureaucracies, including the FBI, to try and trap Trump before, suddenly accidentally sent documents to Mar-a-Lago? None of this is an accident. None of it's an accident at all. You're crazy if you think that this was an accident. It's all done on purpose. But now here's the thing. A judge has ruled that new details from the FBI Trump raid must be revealed. See, they they tried to stop this. Magistrate judge will unseal further Justice Department records related to the FBI's unprecedented raid on former President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago home, though how much of the affidavit itself will be made public remains unknown. We talked about this already, okay? This is last week, but just reminding everybody that they are going to release it. The DOJ did not want it to be released. The DOJ argued, oh, no, this is going to go ahead and, and uh, cause our, our secret methods to be exposed. You know, maybe they should be. If you're spying on former presidents and stuff like that and on campaigns and trying to, to change the outcome of elections, maybe it should be out in the open how you're doing that. So here's an article from Just the News. Oops, I did it again. Media repeats Russia collusion mistakes. Mainstream media is portraying Donald Trump and those criticizing the FBI raid on his Mar-a-Lago estate in Florida as threats to U.S. democracy and national security, in some cases hastily reporting false or misleading information. The news media's coverage of last week's raid has in key ways resembled how the press previously covered now-debunked allegations of collusion between Russia and the Trump campaign to sway the 2016 presidential election with journalists seemingly trying to create a narrative of guilt to damage Trump politically 
before gathering all of the facts. CBS anchor Nora O'Donnell, for example, on Monday misleadingly implied that the Justice Department did not take Trump's passports during the raid. According to a DOJ affidavit, she tweeted, the FBI is not in possession of former President Trump's passports. I don't follow her on Twitter. Has she apologized for that yet? O'Donnell later seemed to hedge, adding, if any items not contained in the warrant were retrieved during the FBI search of Mar-a-Lago, they will be returned. Okay. That's why they didn't want his lawyers there. Now, this is already problematic, and I told you it's problematic. The moment you kick the lawyers out of the house and you go in with a broad warrant, and this is not how warrants work, and I know that other people have explained this to you. I've explained it to you. This is not how warrants work at all. Okay, Warrants do not work this way. You can't just have a warrant to go after somebody and search everything and everything that belongs to that person because you think they might have done something bad. You have to have specific information about what you're looking for and where it might be so your warrant can be narrowly targeting those things. That's not what happened here. They basically had a warrant for anything at Mar-a-Lago that Trump had access to. We read it for you on the air. Anything at Mar-a-Lago that Trump had access to, they get to search. That's not how a warrant is done. That's what you do when you're doing a fishing exposition. That's what despots and tyrants do. That is not what a representative republic and a law and order society do. So they kicked the lawyers out because the lawyers would have clearly told them they couldn't go through Melania's underwear drawer unless it was on the warrant. But they go through all of this, just kind of highlighting multiple examples of how they jumped the gun on this stuff. And again, it's I know it's not surprising, and I know that it wasn't just collusion and then this. It's happened you know, dozens of times since then. But it's important, and it's imperative that people understand that. So they tried to tell you that he didn't have his passports taken, but they were taken. Now, what does that prove? That proves that the FBI took things out of his house that they were not supposed to take out of his house. And if they took his passports when they weren't allowed to take his passports, what else did they take that they weren't allowed to take? That's the question. And as we've highlighted before, the president has absolute authority here. And I will give you a court ruling, which highlights just that, and it involves Bill Clinton's sock drawer. It's not a euphemism. This is actual sock drawer. Talk about that coming up. Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. There's a uh, new poll out. The FBI's Mar-a-Lago raid has eroded trust in the agency. And, yeah, I mean, it's, that's, I, look, it sucks. It's, it's awful. I mean, we don't ever, ever want to be in that position, but we are. We're in that position. We've had an abusive uh, law enforcement agency. It goes back more than just four years. I understand that, but it has been so bad. Well, I should say six years now. It has been so bad that it's, it's impossible to ignore unless you're pro-tyranny. It just is. This story out of Newsweek. The FBI sought documents that Trump hoarded for years, including about Russiagate. I'm sorry, hoarded? He was the president of the United States. Those are his documents. Those are his documents. Now, of course, why would the FBI be seeking documents that Trump had about Russiagate? Why would the FBI want those documents back? Now, of course, if you listen to Team Trump and Common Sense, they will tell you it's because those were obviously exculpatory documents, but also uncovered the great conspiracy headed up by bigwigs over at the FBI. So 
they've been after these documents that Trump has had for years? Is that why they had a spy in the White House who now works for CNN, who stole documents, by the way? He's not being raided. Is that why they put spies in the Attorney General's office in the previous administration in this one? Is that why the FBI did all these things? They're just trying to find the documents that Trump was hiding from them? And they had to be careful about it? Now they don't have to be careful about it? This is Newsweek, guys. This isn't some Red Wing... Uh, red... I shouldn't say Red Wing. <laughs> Right-wing blog. It's Newsweek. Left-wing corporate media Newsweek. That leftists love. They've been trying to get these documents for a long time. They're acting as if he was hiding them from the FBI. They're his documents. He was the president of the United States. Why isn't the news media, going back to six companies own 90% of the media, 15 billionaires own all of it. Why isn't the news media telling you that the exact same organization, with it, well, I should say unit within the FBI that led the Trump-Russia collusion investigation, that's the same one that led the Mar-a-Lago probe. You think the news media might say, hey, uh, Trump has this information which exonerates himself and uh, gets the FBI in trouble, since we already know the FBI has been lying to the courts, making up evidence, fabricating it, leaking it to the press so they can pretend it was real. We already know all of that. We know that they fabricated an entire case against General Flynn and tried to imprison an innocent man, so much so that two of the agents involved were like, why are we doing this? What is, what is going on here? What's the end game? He hasn't done anything wrong. So the same unit that tried to frame him for collusion is the same unit that raided his house, is the same unit that Newsweek says has been seeking out these documents which paint them in a bad light and exonerate him for years. Isn't that interesting? Now, Trump has hinted that there's going to be a major motion filed following the ransacking of Mar-a-Lago. This is Town Hall. All I can say is it's about time. The delay was uh, to be expected, however. The week of August 8 was a legal assault on Donald Trump at the state and federal levels. A federal appeals court paved the way for a new line of inquiry into Trump's taxes. The former president sat down for a deposition regarding New York, New York Attorney General Letitia James's probe uh, into the Trump organization. More on her later, by the way. The one legal move that got the most attention from the feds was the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago, where federal agents ransacked the former president's home over classified materials that might have been declassified. Either way, the president is the ultimate authority regarding records classification. The alleged felonious activity regarding these documents outlined in the search warrant and affidavit from the rogue Biden Justice Department is not based on existing law. And we have highlighted this before. Um... Many lawyers who do this for a living have highlighted this before, and we've quoted them for you. It was a political hit job, but you, were all, but you already knew that. Now, Trump says something major will be filed in the wake of this federal break-in at his home. Good. They're going to file a major motion, he said. That's what he said on Friday, involving the Fourth Amendment over the FBI search of Mar-a-Lago. And as some people pointed out on the live stream earlier, a broad warrant where you search everything in the house with no specific targeted materials and no specific location, is a violation of your Fourth Amendment rights. 100%, which is why it never happens. So he's going to file a motion. Now, perhaps, ladies and gentlemen, perhaps this has to do with Bill Clinton's sock drawer. Some of you are going, what are you talking about? I didn't even know that Dan Bongino talked about this last week, but apparently he did, which I'm glad he did. You see... Some time ago, Bill Clinton took documents and hid them in his sock drawer. 
And Judicial Watch, which is a conservative think tank who's responsible for FOIA requests galore, wanted access to these documents. They wanted to figure out what in the world happened. Bill Clinton made audio tapes and he hid them. So they wanted to figure out what was discussed on the audio tapes. And because, again, they were a part of the National Archive, they wanted the National Archives to turn over the tapes. And guess what? U.S. District Judge Amy Berman Jackson ruled that there was no provision in the Presidential Records Act to force the National Archives to seize records from a former president. What's interesting about that particular case in this article was that it says in regard to a president's sweeping power over records, Jackson's ruling, along with the Justice Department's arguments that preceded it, made some other sweeping declarations that have more direct relevance to the FBI's decision to seize handwritten notes and files Trump took with him to Mar-a-Lago. The most relevant is that a president's discretion on what are personal versus official records is far-reaching and solely his, as is his ability to declassify or destroy records at will. Quote, under the statutory scheme established by the PRA, the decision to segregate personal materials from presidential records is made by the president during the president's term and at his sole discretion. That is what Judge Jackson wrote in her March 2012 decision, which has never been appealed. And it was against a conservative watchdog group, Judicial Watch, in favor of a liberal Democrat president, Bill Clinton. Quote, since the president is completely entrusted with the management and even the disposal of presidential records during his time in office, it would be difficult for this court to conclude that Congress intended that he would have less authority to do what he pleases with what he considers to be his personal records, she said. The judge also noted that it would be wrong to seize the tapes from Bill Clinton, that it was an extraordinary request that was unfounded contrary to the PRA's expressed terms and contrary to traditional principles of administrative law. In the, if the archives wants to challenge a decision, that agency and the attorney general can initiate an enforcement mechanism under the law, but it is a civil procedure and has no criminal penalty, she wrote. You see, we've already established this. Not only is, is it the law already, but somebody thought, well, we'll challenge it anyway. Under the Presidential Records Act, that was Judicial Watch, and they were wrong. Judicial Watch was wrong, and they lost their case. And a federal judge, along with the Department of Justice, arguing, I should say the DOJ argued against releasing those records because the president can do whatever he wants with his own records. And a federal judge agreed in March of 2012. So suddenly, that doesn't apply? Miraculously, for the first time ever in our history, a president can't do this. By the way, <clears throat> I am I'm patiently awaiting an apology from some retired news anchor in town who was all over my Facebook page. More coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel, MNC News Time is 432. Time to check out Impress Jewelry Creations, creating meaningful jewelry for the moments that last a lifetime. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Look, I already know what the outcome is going to be. I already know how this is going to go. This is just another conspiracy theory against Trump. He'll beat it just like that. Um, and at the end of the day, everybody who lied about it won't apologize for being wrong. That's that's just how it's going to be, guys. It's, you know, get used to it. You're, you're dealing with, in large part, evil is a strong word, but pretty darn close to it. 
And, you know, they will they will do whatever, they will say whatever, and they will make sure that their side wins, and if they demonize and slander, then so be it. That's a-okay by, by them. They're okay with that. And what is so pathetic is that so many of them pretend to be Christians. It's like Catholics running around going, yeah, abortion's great, kill everybody. I'm a devout Catholic. No, you're not. You're not a devout Catholic. It's okay if you're not a devout Catholic, but... Don't pretend that you're a devout Catholic if you do not follow Catholic doctrine. Uh, Pete Buttigieg has got a bunch of people upset. I did include a link in the Daily Show prep today to a report that there is um, in these documents. One of the things that's in the Trevor, the treasure trove of documents that Trump has are the full transcripts of Peter Strzok and his side piece, Lisa Page. So, yeah, that that would be a doozy. You know, the, the two corrupt people at the FBI who broke the law. And got caught texting about it repeatedly, right? Former news anchor lady, remember them? Yeah, I didn't think so. Mayor Pete wants airlines to end delays. He doesn't have any instructions as to how they should do it, but he just wants them to stop delaying stuff. Way to go. Never done a job in my entire life, Pete. There are still potholes in South Bend that were potholes when he was the mayor. And they still haven't been filled. After a punishing summer for air travelers who have seen delays and canceled flights, the federal government is taking additional steps to help beleaguered passengers. The Department of Transportation is telling the airlines that they need to come up with their own improvements for customer service or the agency will proceed with a plan to order a rule change. (laughs) The Department of Transportation is also creating a website. What could go wrong? Federal government creating another website? What could possibly go wrong? It's eyed for launch two weeks from now, and that they hope will easily show each airline's policies regarding cancellations and delays. How much money is the federal government going to be spending to copy and paste the cancellation policies of all of the airlines that you can get for free on the airline that you're flying's website right now? You have to accept that policy before you buy your ticket. So it's going to be easier for you if you're flying Delta, which I will be doing in December. It is going to be easier for me to go to a brand new government website and scroll through all the airlines and find Deltas than to just look at Delta's website. You understand why bureaucrats are stupid now? We have to do something. This is, again, busy work. Pete judge has no idea what to do. None whatsoever. So, Pete, what are we supposed to do? Uh, build a website. Just like put the terms of service on there because nobody knows what the terms of service are. Well, they put the terms of service before you actually buy the ticket. Yeah, but nobody actually reads that, so put it on a website where nobody will read it again. It'll be redundant non-reading of terms of service. I mean, (laughs) this is so pathetic. They have no idea what to do. They have no clue. We still have ships off of the coast who can't get into harbor. Okay, that's not done yet. We still have that. (sighs) To give credit where due, the airlines are frequently terrible about making alternate arrangements for travelers and offering refunds for canceled flights. This is true. Nobody disputes this. And if you're the airline and you screw up and it's your fault, you need to to take care of the customer. They're stranded. They're trapped. You got to do that. 
I think that most airlines are probably realizing that they need to do that. And I don't have a problem with Pete Buttigieg or anybody else in the government going, look, you're going to start making accommodations when it's not their fault and it's your fault, or we're going to start fining you. I'm okay with that. That makes sense to me. But just going out there, how many weeks now has Pete Buttigieg been out there? Yeah, we got to fix the uh, the airline traffic situation. How many solutions has he offered? How many of you heard, Ben? How many solutions has Pete Buttigieg offered to fix the airline thing? Any news reports on what his solutions are? Nope. It's been months. He's got no idea what to do. None whatsoever. And the truth be told, it's really not in his... It's not in his power to really do any of this stuff. Now, if you start threatening fines or whatever, whatever your authority is, I'm just you know spitting from the hip here. But if you're doing that, then maybe, perhaps, the airlines will be like, okay, uh, we don't want to get fined, so we'll just start you know doing stuff. Did you know, I, I haven't seen this in any of the airports that I've gone to, but did you know that airports in other countries have um, little like hotels in them? Did you know that? Now, I'm not saying it's ideal, and I'm not saying it's great, but it's just like if you're going to be stuck at an airport overnight because your flight got canceled or something like that, it'd be kind of nice to throw somebody in a little uh, sleeping pod. Give them a place to catch them shut-eye where they're secure and safe and being monitored and all that stuff. That that wouldn't be a bad idea. I mean, it's, just, it's a step forward. It's not a solution. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> a website to help travelers understand both their rights and the policies of the various airlines would not be a terrible idea. It's stupid. Sorry, hotair.com. This is stupid. Though it's not clear that the DOT can force them to change their policies, but they might if they have the government shining a bright light on them and painting them as the bad guys. Yeah, no. Sorry, Jazz Shaw. You're wrong on that one. I, I mean, I, you're in you're in the right framework. I understand what you're trying to say. It's just that... I'm sorry, you buy your ticket, there's a terms of service with all your cancellation policies right there on the ticket. And most people choose not to read it. And then when it comes up to a cancellation, then you read it. Or if you think something might happen, then you look at the cancellation policy because you think something might happen. This is how people engage with everything. Having a Department of Transportation website, which inevitably will get hacked, has absolutely nothing to do with making this a simpler process or shining a light on anything. None of this makes any sense. What needs to happen is, at a bare minimum, from the government's perspective, okay, at a bare minimum, the government needs to come out and say, if you're going to be flying anytime in the near future, here's your responsibility. Obviously, make sure that you're doing everything you need to do to make it onto that flight. But also, be aware of the cancellation policies, so that way you're protected because we're having frequent cancellations and delays, so make sure you plan accordingly. At a bare minimum, Pete Buttigieg could be coming on every radio station in the entire country and whispering in the ear that people should be doing that. And if nothing else, just in case there's somebody who's totally, completely unplugged from society right now and has no idea that any of this is going on and they have a flight, oh, I don't know, in September to Washington, D.C., and their flight gets delayed or canceled, now maybe they won't be so shocked. We've already had a conversation, okay? I'm not even going to D.C. until the end of September. My boss and I have already had a conversation that he probably needs a backup plan because I don't know what's going to happen with my flights. My flight has already been changed twice. Twice! It's We're not even in the month yet. So the chances of that flight getting changed are pretty good. They're pretty good. And we booked this thing months in advance. So just 
No solutions, no ideas, nothing. And it's funny because uh, on Truth Social, you got a bunch of people like, oh my God, this is ridiculous. Like, there's nothing. He's not offering anything. No, because he doesn't know what to do. And all I can do is write underneath it and go, we tried warning you all. <laughs> That's all I can do. We tried warning you all. It's amazing how many people had no idea that we were out there warning everybody. That's what happens when the news media doesn't want the local person to get any attention. Got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Yeah, we all, this is a great point. I didn't really get to it in the last segment, so I apologize. Uh, The live stream is foaming at the mouth. It's Biden's fault that these airlines aren't being able to do anything anyway. Look at all the layoffs, vaccine mandates and all that stuff. Remember when Biden said there's a vaccine mandate when there wasn't a vaccine mandate and, and all that nonsense? And you know, like I've seen that um, there's been some airline representatives doing radio interviews over the past several months and like, no, 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 we've got, we basically hired everybody back. No, you haven't. Otherwise, I wouldn't have stories of pilots fighting back from just a couple of months ago. After major layoffs. I mean, what American Airlines, I think, laid off like 15,000 plus people. And a lot of those people never came back. You know, so it's just, yeah. Why do you think you're having this problem right now? You know, you've got major issues with the amount of people. We, a couple months back, well, a few months back, we, we were talking about still... Vaccine mandates were causing pilots and and, uh, crews to protest, things of that nature. That's still going on. They're hiding it, but it's still going on. The cruise industry has lifted all of those mandates. It's probably time for the airline industry to, to, you know, really make sure that everybody understands. But there's a lot of people, and some of them don't have those mandates, by the way, but there's a lot of people that are like, well, you know, you you treated me poorly, so I'm not coming back to work for you. So I'm not working. I'm going to go do something else. And now they can't find anybody. You know, the ultimate fear here is they're going to rush people into the cockpit. I haven't seen any actual evidence of that, but I know that there's people who are afraid of that. Um, yeah, but it's it's just, you know, the number of people who have been laid off or have been furloughed or have left. You know, American Airlines cutting 31,000 flights ahead of the holiday in the November schedule. That's four days ago. Cutting 31,000 flights. Why do you think that's happening? Do you think it's not happening because of layoffs? Do you think it's something else? Like what? <laughs> like what? Honestly. It doesn't doesn't make any sense. So, yes, you're all right. You're all right about that. 100%. I understand. <sighs> Letitia James. This is the New York Attorney General. She's the woman who campaigned on harassing Donald Trump. She said it. She said she was going to harass him. That he was going to know her name. She wasn't going to leave him alone. She had no evidence of any illegal behavior, but she just she said she was going to do that. So she's going out. He's the, she's the one that he, uh, he pled the fifth with, which makes perfect sense. I'm going to let my lawyers handle this one. This lady's a psychopath. And she is. Did you know that um, there was a, a church that decided to host an event and she threatened them with legal action because it was a pro-Trump event that had General Michael Flynn there. Did you know that? 
She sent the letter. New York State Attorney General Letitia James campaigned for office on her plan to use all the prosecutorial resources of the office to investigate and prosecute Donald Trump and harass him. She's on tape saying that she was going to harass him. James held true to her promise and has targeted Trump and his businesses, advancing to the point that Trump invoked the Fifth Amendment privilege while excoriating what he perceives as prosecutorial misconduct, which it clearly is, in a campaign pledge and follow-up. However, James has not limited her attack to Trump and his businesses. James also issued a letter threatening a church hosting an event by a Trump-favorable group that included Eric Trump in advance of the event warning that her office was monitoring the event and would act if any civil rights or other laws were broken. So it's a preemptive attempt to scare them, to censor them, to what? So legal insurrection actually got the letter. And they published it. Now, I'm not going to read you the entire thing. It's bloviating stupidness, but you'll get the gist when I read some of it. The letter begins by reminding the church that James is New York's top law enforcement officer and has significant concerns that the Reawakening America tour could spur extremist or racially motivated violence, which, for the record, has not happened at any Trump event. These concerns center around the event's proposed dates, which coincide with the five-year anniversary of the deadly Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, and past extremist statements made by yourselves and the other featured speakers on the tour. What, like General Flynn? What extremist statements did he make? Or Eric Trump? What did he make? I'm especially concerned about featured speakers' regular allusions to white nationalist ideals connected to the Great Replacement Theory, a conspiracy theory that warns of white genocide and efforts to replace native-born immigrants. No, uh, the Great Replacement Theory is something, for the record, just so people are crystal clear, and we went over the history of this uh, a little while ago, uh, this is something that was created by the left and promoted by the left. And I went over numerous headlines of left-wing media types and politicians saying replacement theory is very real. And it doesn't deal with genocide. It deals with making white people a minority in the country so they no longer have any political power. There's nothing to do with genocide. So she's just straight up lying, which is what Democrats do. It's becoming much more difficult to find any honest Democrat anywhere in this country. I know that they exist. There's a couple. They're just getting very, very difficult to actually find. So she actually, just a veiled threat, makes it all about Charlottesville. <laughs> so a veiled uh, Charlottesville lie situation there as well. You got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Truth Social at Casey, the host. Get off of Facebook. Get off of Twitter. At least when you're dealing with news and information, go on to Truth Social, Telegram, others. And, of course, subscribe on Rumble, rumble.com slash Casey, the host. More coming up. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. I want to thank R&B Car Company, locations in South Bend and Warsaw. R&B Car Company are your used car experts. You can find them online at rbcarcompany.com. Please let them know that I sent you over there. If you happen to hop over there and buy a vehicle, that'd be great. Okay. Uh, I I wish that I had better news uh, about COVID. I don't. Um, I should say the vaccines. I don't have better news, but... Uh, continues to get a little bit worse as we start to learn more and more 
And a lot of a lot of what's interesting about this is a lot of the stuff that we told you, you know, gosh, going back over a year, two years, is now just finally being admitted to. And I told you it'd be two years after the pandemic was over, which has not been declared over yet. Uh, about two years after the pandemic is over, you're going to start getting the truth, and people are going to start understanding a little bit about what ended up happening. That's what happened with swine flu. And I assume that's probably what's going to happen here. So let's take a look first at Germany. What if one in 23 individuals jabbed with the COVID bioproduct experience an adverse reaction strong enough to trigger an insurance claim? Now consider the fact that 5.31 billion people in the world received at least one jab, with hundreds of millions receiving three or four jabs And you will realize we are in uncharted waters in human history. According to data from Techniker Krankenkasse, the largest German medical insurance company, there were a total of 437,593 insurance claims billed under the four diagnostic codes for vaccine injury in 2021. So I'm just, just so we are crystal clear here on what is being reported by the largest medical insurance company in Germany, according to this article, is in Germany 437,593 insurance claims for vaccine side effects were filed just in 2021. To put those numbers in perspective, the total numbers billed for a vaccine injury code in the two preceding years was just 13,000. 777 and 15,044, respectively. As the Daily Skeptic notes, given the TK insures 11 million people, that means 1 in 23 or 4.3% had a medical treatment billed for vaccine injury. Okay? Not you had a sore arm, not there was a bump at the injection site. We're talking about an actual medical injury that required treatment that required an insurance company bill. And that assumes all 11 million were vaccinated. The background vaccination rate in Germany is 78%, although most of the unvaccinated are children, so the rate of injury per vaccinated person is likely even higher, about 5.1%. Putting aside confounding factors, but just to provide a rough estimate to open your mind to the scope of this problem, a 4.3% clinical level injury rate, if extrapolated for the 223 million vaccinated in the United States, would equal approximately 9.6 million injured Americans. While that number sounds unconscionable, remember that this data harmonizes almost perfectly with the Israeli Health Ministry survey that found a 4.5% rate of neurological side effects just from those who receive booster shots, not total doses, which is more likely. However, this data and the extrapolation for the U.S. population is even more credible when you look at the VAERS data. The total number of reported hospitalizations, urgent care visits, or doctor's visits reported to VAERS just for the United States for the COVID shot as of August 5th of this month is 337,579. Okay? It also includes nearly 14,000 deaths, just so we are clear. 
an underreporting factor of roughly 28 would get you 9.6 million clinical level injuries, leading VAERS expert Dr. Jessica Rose estimating, using independent rates of anaphylaxis events from the Mass General Study, an underreported factor as high as 41 for serious adverse events in VAERS, which VAERS acknowledges is a common problem. Obviously, vaccine injury billing codes, VAERS data for doctor's visits, and the Israeli Health Ministry survey are not the exact same data point, but they all seem to coalesce around a rate of several percentage points of injury beyond the typical mild symptoms that one would expect to experience from the shot. Moreover, we can actually independently verify the German billing data more precisely by using the same diagnostic codes for vaccine injury in the U.S. military. The four codes tabulated in the German TK billing data for 2021 are the following. Infection following immunization. I'm not going to give you the code because it's boring. Other complications after immunization. Adverse effects after COVID-19 immunization. And complications due to vaccines or biological substances. I asked a source in the military with access to the Defense Medical Epidemiology Database, the DMED, which we've talked about on the show in the past, to pull equivalent data on vaccine injury. While some of these codes did not line up, did not come up, excuse me. Here is the data for adverse effect of other viral vaccine. And when you look at it, I mean, it's, it's a rate of increase of 11.6 fold which is not as dramatic as 30-fold in Germany, but this is just one out of the four codes and categories. Also, it's likely that the military population would have a higher baseline background rate of reported adverse effects annually than a civilian population because they receive many more vaccines every year per capita. So it's interesting. You look at you know, the actual insurance codes in Germany. Because some people want to tell you that, you know, people here in the United States who have these adverse effects or the VAERS system is inaccurate or what have you. I mean, it's funny that the VAERS system is always seen as a credible source when it's not highlighting that we have adverse reactions to a vaccine that would have had any other medication pulled. But suddenly now it's not a credible system, even though they continue to use it. The government does, not not us. I mean, the government uses it. But what's interesting about this is that, you know, if you look at the, the German information, this is actual, I got the COVID vaccine. I had an injury because of the COVID vaccine. I had treatment for said injury because of the COVID vaccine. And my insurance was billed because of said treatment for my injury from the COVID vaccine. It's all documented. Whereas in the United States, they try to tell you the VAERS system is not accurate and it's just a bunch of people putting stuff in, yada, 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 right? They try to tell you that it's not real. Okay. I got another one for you. Hang in there. A United Kingdom rock singer who goes by the name of Zion died from a catastrophic brain injury caused by the AstraZeneca COVID vaccine, according to an inquest. 48-year-old man from Alston in Cumbria a county in northwest England, developed an excruciating headache on May 13th of 2021, eight days after receiving the AstraZeneca vaccine. Although he took painkillers, Zion's headaches increased in severity, and four days later his speech was impaired and he started to have seizures. Now, I know some of you are like, well, we didn't have AstraZeneca here. I Look, 
Same technologies behind it, okay? So that's the only reason I'm highlighting this case. Zion died May 19, 2021, despite emergency surgery to try and treat his vaccine-induced, this is a quote now from the report, vaccine-induced immune thrombotic uh, thrombocytopenia, which causes swelling and bleeding of the brain. After his death, his fiance, 39 years old, she said that she had um, only spent one night apart from him in their 21 years together and that her life is now smashed into a million pieces. Now, he is the first person in the UK to receive compensation. Well, she is. She's his survivor. She is the first person in the United Kingdom to receive compensation for a COVID-19 vaccine death. During the August 17th inquest, the panel heard how Zion was generally fit and well, uh, well with no generally fit and well with no significant previous medical history. An inquest is a formal investigation conducted by a coroner to determine how somebody died. So, in case you didn't know what it was, so it's like an autopsy here, but it's like an investigation beyond that. Okay, uh, the purpose of an inquest is limited to establishing the identity of the deceased individual as well as where, when, and how they died. A paramedic who initially called to Zion's home on May 15th of 2021 told the inquest panel Zion was alert and sat up when the paramedics arrived. Uh, Let's see. She said that she advised Zion to go to the hospital after further testing, but he said that he did not want to go out for fear of getting COVID. The paramedic also told the court that she did not receive official guidance regarding the AstraZeneca vaccine and its potential severe risks until around July of 2021 which is two months later. So she says, <clears throat> his, his wife says, the paramedic was adamant the migraine had nothing to do with the vaccine and that she and Zion both believed her. And the paramedic is like, well, I wasn't told that the vaccine could do anything like this until two months after I had this visit with him. It was only two months later that I was told that there might actually be something to this. So once again, within a span of a week here, amidst all of the other information that's come out over the past couple of weeks about how the CDC has admitted to lying to you, about studies that they didn't actually do, that they told you they did in order to calm you down, admitting that they're going to continue to to not release any data because they don't want you to, you know, think for yourself. They're now organizing themselves to hide clinical research in order to put the public message forward first and hide that research from you. That's their new messaging and how they're restructuring and reorganizing themselves. To a German insurance company, the largest company in Germany, talking about how many of their clients have had a side effect that required medical treatment and there was billing involved because of it to now the very first person in the United Kingdom has been paid because their loved one died specifically because of the AstraZeneca vaccine. I'm telling you right now, there is going to be a time in the near future where you're going, you're going to see these ads, you're going to see them. And people are going to have these these cases. You're going to even start to see the news media come around. And the news media is not going to be able to ignore it anymore. And they're going to tell you all of these people were wrong. And you're even going to see some members of the news media going, yeah, yeah, when I got it too. Like, I never had this before, but now I do. 
How many of you, and this is a, just a general question just for you, how many of you know somebody who got vaccinated who now has a health condition that they never had before? Because I know several. I'm not saying that it wasn't the right thing to do for people who are already at high risk, clearly was, but for people who are healthy and able-bodied, particularly the young, this never did make any sense. It was far more risky than it needed to be. Got more coming up. Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Well, there's a viral video here that blew up the internet not that long ago. It showed a uh, Democratic, this is Jersey City, a Democratic councilwoman hitting a bicyclist with her car and then leaving the scene of the accident. Uh, So now residents are demanding the resignation of the councilwoman, Amy DeGuise. Now, Amy DeGuise uh, did have a green light during the incident. The bicyclist did not. The bicyclist actually broke the law crossing the street. She still hit the bicyclist and then fled the scene. The bicyclist is okay, but they did have some injuries. Um, it's, a, it's a horrific accident. If you haven't seen it, I mean, it's just, I mean, they, it's a miracle that the bicyclist is okay. Absolute miracle. But, you know, again, she, she hits a bicyclist, she takes off, <laughs> she just leaves. She could have stayed, offered aid, pointed out that this person just darted out in front of her. I think most of us can relate to bicyclists not obeying the law. We've all run into it with a large amount of frequency, in my case anyway. Uh, Let's see. I am not resigning. For those who call for my resignation, you are heard, and I understand that you have concerns and questions that I respect and would enjoy any type of dialogue or discussion with you after I go to court. So that's uh, that's what she said, according to the Washington Examiner. She continued, I am... I'm appreciative of everyone who came out and had to stay had to stay tonight. I appreciate and so grateful for people who have reached out to support me or just want to wait until the court process goes on to ask me any further questions or pry anymore. I cannot make it through these days without you. I mean, I I don't I don't know what kind of support she's talking about. I suppose there could be, you know, moral support like are you okay? You just ran somebody over on camera. And then you kind of like ran away from the scene. Like, you all right? Like, what was going on? Did you have a, you know, a, you have diarrhea? Um, were you on your way to the hospital? What was the emergency that you just ran somebody over and left them in the middle of the street? Did she, she have any idea how lucky she is this person isn't dead? Even though this person crossed the street when they weren't supposed to, and she had a green light, the fact that she hit them and left makes her the bad guy now. Whereas if she would have stopped and just said, "What are you doing?" <laughs> she would have been she would have been okay. Everyone would be like, "Okay, the bicyclists did what bicyclists do. They didn't obey the street laws, which they frequently don't." So, yeah, we'll see what's happening there, but she's saying, "No, I'm not going to resign. What are you talking about?" Speaking of electric vehicles, cuz bicycles are electric vehicles, right? They count as electric. <laughs> uh <laughs> Casey, no, uh, not unless they have that motor on it. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm going to get the email. I'm going to get every time I tell you that I get the email, just know that I actually get the email. Have I given any, anybody an update on the angry Chipotle eaters yet? I told you they were going to email me. They did. <laughs> they were mad. They were super mad about me making fun of Chipotle. 
It's not my fault Chipotle tried to kill like 20 people. <sighs> anyway, not locally though. The local one has never had any health issues that I'm aware of. So, <laughs> uh, the Bank of Australia. The Bank of Australia is a customer-owned bank in Australia. They are going to end automotive loans for any car or diesel, uh, gas or diesel car. They're going to do this in three years. So by 2025, you will not be able to get an auto loan for a gas or diesel vehicle from the Bank of Australia or Bank Australia, whatever it is. An Australian bank will stop approving personal loans for new petrol and diesel-powered cars from 2025 as the federal government flags tough new fuel efficiency standards. This is the same Australia that has rolling brownouts and blackouts because the green grid they have there doesn't keep the lights on in, in that region. So that's, that's good to know. Electric vehicles this year have a minuscule 1.6% market share, even when Tesla sales were included, with starting prices of $47,000 and a lack of charging stations turning, many, turning off many potential motorists. But the customer-owned bank Australia wants to change that in a bid to reduce carbon emissions linked to climate change, which they falsely accuse. But anyway, its chief impact officer, Sasha Corville, of course it's a Sasha, told the National Electric Vehicle Summit in Canberra on Friday that the bank's new policy was an important step in decarbonizing the Australian economy. What? Look, I have a better idea. Instead of just telling everybody that they can't get an auto loan through you and giving your, your competitors all of the, uh, the business, mark my words, they'll reverse this when they see their competitors getting the loans. Instead of doing that, why doesn't Bank Australia just announce an initiative to fund more charging stations? I mean, that, that, could, that could be a thing. Because the reason Australians aren't buying it is there's no charging stations anywhere. Also a big country with large swaths of rural area that electric vehicles probably aren't the best choice for. Something to consider. But it's just one of several study, uh, uh, stories involving electric vehicles and energy. Coming up, Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel, MNC News Time, 531. Time to check out Impress Jewelry Creations. Again, creating jewelry for the moments that last a lifetime. Now, we'll get to the other energy stories here in a second. Got a couple of uh, news stories for you. Uh, Donald Trump today has asked a federal court to temporarily block the FBI from reviewing the materials that it seized from his Florida home in the Mar-a-Lago raid. The lawsuit was filed today against the U.S. government in the Southern District of Florida. Quote, this is what it says. Uh, President Donald J. Trump, through his undersigned counsel, respectfully files this motion for judicial oversight and additional relief which seeks an order that, A, appoints a special master, which should have been involved in this process from the very beginning, B, enjoins further review of seized materials by the government until a special master is appointed, and C, uh, excuse me, not and C, but C, requires the government to provide more detailed receipt for property, and D, requires the government to return any item seized that was not within the scope of the search warrant, and states as follows, politics cannot be allowed to impact the administration of justice. President Donald J. Trump is the clear front runner in the 2024 Republican presidential primary and in the 2024 general election should he decide to run. So they have filed a motion seeking a special master, which again should have been involved from the very beginning. Um, of course, his attorney has been pointing that out like, hey, there should have been a special master here. Uh, from the very beginning of this thing, so that way uh, they weren't seizing things that didn't belong to them and they're reviewing it. So 
That has been filed today. Uh, then I have Elon Musk has now subpoenaed Jack Dorsey in his battle with Twitter. So Jack Dorsey has now um, been subpoenaed to the courts over this battle. So the Twitter thing is still ongoing as well. All right, so there is an auto club in Germany. This is an additional energy story about electric vehicles now. There's an auto club in Germany that claims 21 million members ran some controlled charging test electric uh, ran some controlled charging tests, electric vehicles, to see how efficient the process was. And the result uh, apparently weren't very good. Not only are they expensive to buy and own, but the average charge also wastes up to 13% of the electricity. Now, this may not be the case everywhere in the world. I don't know. I'm just letting you know what their results were. Uh, let's see. So basically what they did is they would charge their vehicle. Okay, so they would charge the the electric vehicle um, and the amount of electricity required for a fully charging for fully charging the battery was as much as 13% more than the battery would actually hold. So remember, batteries don't retain their charge. So this is one of the issues with solar. So anyway, it takes 13% more electricity to charge the battery than the battery can actually hold. Make sense? So Think of it this way. If you're going to um, you know, a, a gas station, you're filling up your tank, you fill it all the way up, you just take a couple of gallons and just dump it on the ground. That's that's kind of what it is. And you, have, you just have to pay for those gallons of gas. They Your car just doesn't get any benefit from it. It's just wasted. It just goes, goes, goes away. Uh, so they're saying that that happened with uh, multiple electric cars. And like I said, it's... I don't have the research. They're saying that 21 million of their members participated in this thing. I have no idea if that's true. I'm just letting you know what the uh, the report is. So if that is true, that would be interesting. A judge has blocked the Interior Department's pause on oil and gas leases in 13 states. This is a judge in Louisiana. Blocked the Biden administration's authority to pause oil and gas leases in 13 states one day after an appeals court tossed the judge's injunction. The Interior Department violated federal law by canceling leasing on federal lands following President Joe Biden's, former Vice President Joe Biden's, my apologies, misspoke, uh, 2021 executive order telling the agency to pause those activities pending an extensive review of the leasing program. That is according to U.S. District Judge Terry Doughty on Thursday. The 13 states are Alabama, Alaska, Arkansas, Georgia, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Texas, Utah, and West Virginia. Uh, the ruling does not apply to any other states, specifically only those states. The offshore leases affected by the ruling are already set to go into place following Biden's signing Tuesday of the Inflation Reduction Act. Judge Doughty said that through the Mineral Leasing Act and Outer Continental Shelf Lands Act, the government is required to sell leases and only Congress is able to stop oil and gas leasing. So that's an interesting one. Rather than doing a comprehensive review... While the scheduled oil and gas lease sales took place, the secretary put the cart before the horse, according to the judge. So uh, we'll see how this legal battle shakes out. But like I said, you know, the private sector and the states are stepping in, particularly Montana, Texas, as, as is typically the case with Texas. But Montana in particular has taken the place of the Dakotas in the last time under the Obama administration where the private sector basically produced oil and gas um, without his approval. Biden wanted there to be less oil and gas. The private sector said, forget that. And they just started producing. So Montana and Texas are kind of leading that spear now while Biden tries to take credit for anything they do. 
Uh, but the courts are involved saying, no, you can't cancel these leases. Um, you're required to issue these leases. Congress has oversight, not the executive. So, again, we'll see how this all shakes out. Just giving you updates. we got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Yeah, I guess tomorrow we'll go over the student loan fiasco. Um, you know, I just I, I went into a bit of a rant at the beginning of the program today. You know, I said there's a lot of stuff's happening behind the scenes. It's just, you know, it, it's irritating because I've seen all of the infighting that I'm seeing in the Republican Party right now. Just had a real contentious, you know, basically a five-day campaign. Um, who's going to take over the second congressional district and be the nominee going into November uh, Rudy Yakum was able to secure that with one vote in the the caucus over the weekend. It was expected to go to potentially up to 11 votes, uh, but he secured enough in, in the first. And it was, you know, some of the other candidates, you know, they conceded right away and, and they, they called it. Uh, so it was earlier than a lot of people were expecting. But nonetheless, there were good people who were running. And as a result, there's some people who don't like that Rudy got it, and there would be people who didn't like it if somebody else got it, and so naturally everybody's bickering with each other. And then you know, tonight is the the vote um, to figure out who is going to take over the St. Joseph County GOP after the tragic passing of Zach Potts. So it's it's getting ugly. It, it, part of this is you know you see this a lot in politics, but you know again, it's not just politics and the people who use that excuse probably need to get out of politics because it's not acceptable and it alienates people and ultimately it weakens the party i watched this happen in nevada and the state turned blue so cut it out knock it off start working together it's okay to be spirited about it it's okay to have fun debates it's okay to vote the way that you want to vote but after it's done you got to stop are you just going to continue to divide everybody hopefully going forward that will not be an issue all right bill o'reilly's up next we'll see y'all tomorrow